Thanks, Cannon. Thank you. Thanks for the worship. That was good. Really enjoyed that. Okay, so in two weeks, we have our annual meeting. So we'll be meeting in here right after church, and we'll be voting on our budget and on leaders. And so this week, we sent out an email to everybody who's a regular attender or a member. And uh, so every once in a while, letters go into people's junk mail and stuff like that. So if you should have gotten it and you didn't get it, there is a stack printed in the back of the room, and you are, Michelle's waving those, you are welcome to go back there and grab one. And if you're a visitor and didn't get one and you want to check out our letter, go grab it. You can have it too. So uh, just basically for our annual meetings, um, anybody who comes is willing, is, is willing, is welcome. Welcome to fully participate in everything, except you just can't vote. Only members vote. But as far as the rest of it, you can come and listen and discuss. And anyway, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. So we are uh, going to be talking more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I think about are that people are gifts. When you look at the gifts, some of the gifts that God talks about giving, He talks about the specific people that He gives as gifts. And one of the things that you need to know is that if you are a Christian, you are a gift to the church. You are a divine gift God gave you to a church family. And uh, that is just such an amazing thing for you to know that God has supernaturally created you to be a person that is useful to Him. And uh, what's really sad is when Christians who are a gift to a church don't go to church. Like, that's a terrible thing. And there's a lot of people who say, oh, my relationship with God is between me and God, and I don't really need church. And anybody who thinks that is somebody who does not read the Bible. That is a, a terrible, unhealthy way to think. And it's not that going to church is that you have to go to church to get to God or that church is the only place like that we distribute God to people. Your relationship with God is wherever you are, and it is between you and God, but no Christian that is not regularly a part of a, a church is a healthy Christian. So uh, people say going to church doesn't mean anything, and to that I say, well, maybe not. You know, you can have non-Christians that go to church, right? Just because you go to church, you could be a terrible person who hates God and hates people, and you can come to church. So going to church doesn't mean anything. But not going to church does mean something. Anybody who doesn't go to church is unhealthy and is spiritually not the person that God intends them to be. So that's one of the things we realize is that we are a gift, and God has given us to the church, and God can use us powerfully, and He will use us powerfully in the lives of others. So people are gifts. But the other thing is that when a person becomes a Christian, uh, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and what that means is that the Holy Spirit, the moment you become a Christian, enters your life, and in fact, the Bible says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, and, and the word temple, if you're talking about a house that uh, people live in, you say it's a house. If you talk about a church building, you call it a temple. The word temple ultimately just means house. And so, but we, we translate it temple when it's referring to God. You are the Holy Spirit's house. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And that happens the moment you become a Christian. The other thing that happens the moment that you become a Christian is God gives you a supernatural gift. 
And, and that, that's a supernatural ability to accomplish something that He intends you to accomplish. And um, I believe that each person is a unique expression of the gifts that God has given. Um, when you listen to people who, for example, teach, there are no te- teachers that are exactly the same. And I think that you are a unique individual who has something to contribute to the church. But this is the amazing thing, is that when you're in church, everybody else who's in church has something to contribute to you. So that's the cool thing about going to church, is that we go to church to serve, right? I was thinking about just this, all the lists of things, the announcements, all the ways to be involved, and all the ways that you can help, and that you can function and serve and build the body of Christ and reach the lost and encourage and help. But the, the amazing thing about going to church and functioning correctly is that when everybody does that, um, you go to church and you are one person offering a little bit to a lot of people. But when you walk into the room, there are like over a hundred people that are there to bless and encourage you. And so going to church with just an attitude that says, I'm going to give, I am going to serve, when we approach church that way and each of us is saying, I am not here for what I can get, I am here for what I can give, what ends up happening is you get way more than you could ever give. And so that's why it is so important for the church to think rightly and to function rightly. And you know what it all comes down to is that as we uh, are involved in the church, you know, we're here to worship God. God is our priority. Becoming a Christian is recognizing that God is God and committing our life to following Him. And what, one of the things we do on Sunday morning is we come worship God together. I'm just going to tell you that standing in the back of the room and listening to um, Eddie share announcements, listening to Canon lead worship, this whole worship team leading worship, listening to all of you sing, um, listening to Canon pray, man, that is so much better than when I sing at home by myself. Um, and, and so we, there's, there's ways that we can worship and accomplish what God intends when we're together that is different than when we're apart. So as we think about um, spiritual gifts, I want to repeat a few things that we've learned so far. By the way, there's a lot of controversy about spiritual gifts. I'm going to read a list of five things right now that are not controversial. Um, not everybody knows these things. Not everybody holds on to these things. Not everybody practices these things. But these are black and white truths from Scripture. They are not confusing at all. So what are the things that we could say for absolute certainty? Is this. Number one, that the proper functioning of spiritual gifts is essential. And because it's essential, Satan is attacking it. Uh, The second thing is that you should try to think about and try to discern your spiritual gift so that you can make sure you're using it correctly. It's good and healthy for us to look at lists of spiritual gifts and say, which one, which one am I? Which ones do I have? How, how do those blends of things express themselves? But what you need to know is you do not need to know what your spiritual gift is to use it. You don't need to know what your spiritual gift is to function in a healthy way in the body any more than you need to know your personality type to have a personality. Um, you, whether or not you know what your personality type is, you still express it everywhere you go and in everything that you do. 
It's helpful if you understand your personality type, but you don't need to. And so, hey, let's figure this stuff out. But every time we teach on spiritual gifts, um, people leave frustrated. But I don't, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know which one I am. I think I'm this. Somebody else says I'm that. And I'm confused. Um, you know what? Hey, dig in, pray, see what you can figure out. But do not be discouraged or frustrated by that. You have a spiritual gift. And just you being somewhere, you'll use it. A third thing is that everybody is unique and uniquely needed. Um, you provide in a church family what no other person can provide just like you. And so we may have a bunch of teachers, but if you are a teacher, you teach differently in any unique way than anybody else. And so when you're teaching, you add something that no one else can add, which is one of the reasons and we learn that God places gifts in the body just how He wants. And sometimes God will move a gift out of a church family and then He'll bring a different gift in. And, and often people say, but, but I want you to be like that other person that was there. And one of the things we know is I loved when Jonathan led worship. I was so thankful for him. And if you, to put, if you put Cannon and Jonathan right next to each other, they are not exactly the same. There are certain things that they do that are same, but they're very different. And one of the things I know is that when God moved Jonathan to Arizona, it's because God was done with what He was going to do with Jonathan here. And when, Can when God brought Cannon here to Foothills Church, that's because Cannon's going to do his thing in a different way, and it's because our church needs that. We should never try to make anybody fit into the mold of someone else. And I just randomly picked you and Jonathan, not that anybody's doing that, but but uh, we should never try to make anybody fit into the mold of someone else because there are no two people that are alike. And so every person is unique and uniquely needed. And this is the other thing. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. Nobody's spiritual gift has as its purpose self-edification. And there are people who look at spiritual gifts and they go, oh no, this gift is for me to use for my own edification. That is absolutely wrong. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul tells them, you're doing stuff for your own edification. Knock it off. And then some people go, no, look, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says this gift is for self-edification. It's like, did you read it? Because he said, don't do that. And uh, so gifts are given for the common good. And then this is the other thing is that love for God and others is what drives spiritual gifts. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to, we hit that last week, you know, so we all think of 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter that comes right in the midst of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. In Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts, the greatest love chapter is dropped right in the middle, but you don't even have to wait until 1 Corinthians 13 to see that love drives spiritual gifts, because he actually says it in the passage that we looked at last week and that we're looking at this week. He ends chapter 12 by saying that God gives these gifts and he's put everybody in church just in the perfect way so that there would be no division. You ever know Christians that have division? You ever see churches that have conflict? Have you ever looked at a brother and sister in Christ and just thought to yourself, you irritate me? Or have you ever had a conflict with somebody? By the way, that's Satan trying to mess up spiritual gifts. 
but so that there will be no division and so that we will have the same care for one another. So love drives gifts, and we're going to end today. I'm going to tell you my last point right now. And that is that as important as spiritual gifts are, and they are so important, Paul actually ends chapter 12 by saying, love matters more than your gifts. And so um, what this all comes down to is that if we don't love each other, it actually doesn't matter what our gifts are. And God, or Satan, sorry, (laughs) Satan will actually use your gifts to destroy you and to destroy other people if you don't love, if that is not the motivation and what drives the use of your spiritual gifts. So um, today we're going to talk a little bit about some controversial things, but I'm actually going to stay out of most of the controversy. And uh, there's a huge gift uh, controversy about spiritual gifts. And that is, for example, the gift of apostleship, prophets, healing, miracles, like there's some gifts that some people would say are no longer in operation. They're gifts only for the apostles, some would say. And then there's other people who say, no, every spiritual gift is still being used today. And so like that's the controversial part, and we're going to talk about some of these gifts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is why I'm not going to dig into this big time right now, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about gifts passing away, and it lists some of the gifts that pass away. And so when we get there, we're going to look at what it says about these gifts and why they pass away, and it's very challenging. Like, that's a, that's a, there's a passage, a verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that's hard to figure out. It says, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And so then the question is, what's the perfect Is it the completion of the church, mature church? Is it the completion of God's Word? Is it when we end up in heaven? So when people look, I'm sorry, I I got ahead of myself. That's for for 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm not going to dig into that. I'll save that till later. But we are going to talk about some things today that are potentially controversial. And uh, just, but just a little bit, just a little bit. As, uh, As we look at this, um, if, you, if you filter, when it comes to spiritual gifts, if you filter out the things that are obviously wrong, um, there's not that much left that's confusing. And when we get to the gift of healing, I'll share two people in my life, or that I know of, two people I respect and love, that have very different gifts about our very different opinions about what the gift of healing is and whether or not it's still here today. But you want to know what's amazing to me is when I listened to each of their views and I thought about the application of it, it's like, a, it's like the same thing, but they just think a little bit differently about what happens. So some of the things that we can just rule out. Uh, anybody who tells you to pray for Mary and then says they're an apostle, they are not an apostle. We don't pray to Mary. Um, Anybody who says that works cause salvation, they're not a reflection of salvation. Get rid of those people. Those are not apostles. Those are not prophets. That is false teaching. Anybody who tells you that speaking in tongues is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is wrong. 
Um, anybody who, like when people, anybody who says that everybody speaks in tongues or should speak in tongues, that is wrong. If you've ever seen or been to a church, and I grew up and went to some churches where everybody in the church would pray in tongues, they would all speak in tongues, they would all sing in tongues, that is wrong. Um, That stuff is definitely not right. The Bible says never more than one person at a time, and only up to three, and there always has to be a translator. So, if we just take all the things that, that we know are wrong, like God wants everybody to be healthy, If you're sick, it's because you have not claimed a legitimate promise that God has given you. Um, Anybody that says that in Jesus' death, He purchased your physical healing in this life. So if we just take all the people that say those things, and all those groups that promote those things, and if we just get rid of those, and just say, okay, those, all of that I know is wrong. Uh, If we do that, What's left is not that confusing or controversial. I'm not saying it's not confusing, and I'm not saying it's not controversial. You know, there are some things that people struggle with, and I just think, yeah, this is not a hard topic. It says it in black and white. You struggle with it because you don't like it. Um, That's a lot of controversy. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, whether or not they still exist, um, certain of the gifts still exist, that is actually biblically challenging. So I understand why people struggle with those things. Like I read the Bible and I struggle with it. And, and every time I go back and study it, I think to myself, um, okay, I don't want to just bring what I brought from the past. I don't want to just say the things that, that I've learned. I want to say what's actually true. And I want to be careful not to say things that the Bible doesn't clearly say. So, all right. Um, avoid false teaching. And if you do, it'll be way less confusing. So, uh, let's, let's read. So, we're going to see basically two main things today. My first point's really long, and, but I'm going to tell you about Paul. He preached to God at death, so we're going we're to talk about him today. So, um, but uh, the first point's long, the second one's short, short, but we only have two points today, and that is that God is the priority in how we view and use our gifts. That's number one. And we're basically going to see that God appoints uh, gifts according to His will, and that there's people that are gifts, and that there's abilities that are gifts. And the second thing is that gifts are important, but love is way more important. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to skip until we get to the end, just a verse here or two. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. So, God wants us to understand spiritual gifts. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Verse 14, the body does not consist of one member but many Verse 18, but God, as it is, has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. And then verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And then verse 28, and then we'll read 28 to 31. These are the verses we're going to go through. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all those questions is no. Um, Verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And those are the gifts of teaching, prophecy, apostleship. Um, And I will show you a still more excellent way. That's love. That's more excellent. And uh, one of the things about this Corinthian church is that, that God had supernaturally blessed this church. And I would just say spiritual gifts, when you think about these gifts, apostleship, teaching, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, when you think about all these gifts, healing, miracles, and speaking with tongues, when you think about all those gifts, if we think about them rightly, and if you think about the church being started, it was the church desperately needed all of those gifts. And it is amazing how God used them. And Paul tells the Corinthian church in in chapter 1, verse 7, he says that you are not lacking in any gift and that they were eagerly awaiting the return of Christ and that God had given them everything that they needed. But the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, right? And it's because love was not the priority in their church that it was supposed to be. And they were fighting with each other and they fought with the Apostle Paul. And what I think is crazy is Paul defends himself a little bit in 1 Corinthians. But you know, he spends the last three <laughs> chapters of 2 Corinthians defending himself. Like things didn't get better there, they got worse. And uh, that's a tragedy. We should not have that. Churches should not be that way. And so here's the first thing that we need to recognize as we think about this, is that God is the priority in how we view and use our gifts. You know, when you think about this, it says in verse 28, God has appointed in the church. God decides who serves where. God decides what gifts people get. God is sovereignly in charge of the church. That's one of the things I think about is is I've had people that they just seemed so valuable to me. I remember John was leading youth ministry here. John's my son, if you don't know that. But we came here and John was leading youth ministry and he was doing things. And John was so valuable to me because I didn't just disciple him and train him a little bit. I've been working on John his whole life. And I've been training him his whole life. When I tell John, I want you to do this in ministry. I want you to think about this. I want you to approach the kids in this way. I want you to prioritize these things. John's never confused about what I'm talking about. Like he understands me. He's been practicing listening to me his whole life. (laughs) And also, I know him so well, so I know what the struggles that he's going to have are. I know the places where he needs input, and it was just so useful and so happy. I never gave thought to what John was doing in the youth ministry. I just asked him to do it. I never wondered if he would do it. And and God was so good and just blessed him so much, and my mind could go to other things. And then John decided to go to North Carolina. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, oh, great, (laughs) what are we going to do now? 
And one of the things I reminded myself of is that actually, if God's moving John to North Carolina, it's because that's actually good for John. And it's good for him to go, and I should love John more than myself and be glad that he's leaving. But also, that's better for this church. Like if John stayed for another two years, we would be worse off. And even though I didn't see what was better and I didn't see the better that was coming, what I know is that God is sovereign and God moves people and God appoints and John leaving was good. And then I thought, okay, so that theologically, that's not how I'm feeling. Uh, I remember I came into the church the day after I found out John was going to leave and there were some people in here and, and I'm rarely grumpy and snippy with people outside my family. (laughs) And I walked into the church and I said some snippy thing to a group of people. And I remember thinking, man, that was weird. Why did I do that? And I realized it's because I'm really grumpy about the fact that John's leaving. And then you see God bring Justin. And I just look at the amazing things that God is doing through Justin in the youth ministry. And he is not John. They are not exactly the same. If you've met them, you know that. (laughs) But God's intention actually was to bless this church in in an even greater way and in a much better way. And that's true every time anybody leaves, is that when somebody leaves, it's because God has really good, better um, plans. And so when we think about the fact that God has appointed, when, when God dominates your thinking about life and about relationships... Um, that is actually what enables you to function, to think rightly, and to use your gifts rightly. Um, God's sovereignty is actually something that it should inform everything that you think about in everything that you approach. Like when you're driving and your car breaks down, that is not an accident. When, When somebody does something to you that you don't like, that is not an accident. Um, God is sovereign over everything. Do you know what sovereignty is? When you hear sovereignty, think about king. God is the king, and God is a king like no other king, but sovereignty has basically two elements to it, and that is that God has the ability to do whatever He wants. He is the ultimate power in the universe. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, you got King Nebuchadnezzar, who, by the way, was one of the greatest kings on earth. So, when you think about uh, Old Testament periods of time, people were killing their brothers, they were killing their friends, like everybody was trying to take the throne. And Babylon was this brutal kingdom, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is prideful toward God. And God says, okay, um, I'm going to take away your sanity. And he makes, him, he makes Nebuchadnezzar crawl around out in a grass field for seven years, eating grass like a cow. And so this great, majestic, powerful king is crawling around in the grass, eating grass. Now, this is the amazing thing about how significant Nebuchadnezzar's kingship was. Did you know that everybody in his kingdom thought he was so great that they all sat around waiting for seven years for him to get his sanity back so that they could restore him as king? Like, nobody tried to take over. Like, like this is a, a very great human king. And uh, he didn't pay attention to God. And so God says, you're going to lose your mind. And when it's all done, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel 4, 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. 
And I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. You know, God's not in heaven going, if I could only get a few more people on my side. Uh, God doesn't care. He doesn't need anybody else on his side. Which is why, by the way, that you don't need anybody on your side. If you follow and obey God, that's the majority. Actually, with or without you, that is the majority. Um, God needs nobody. He's the one that we care about. He goes on and he just says, all the inhabitants of of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will uh, um, among the hosts of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is the ultimate power in the universe. He does whatever He wants. And, you know, people on earth should be mindful of that Um, when they shake their fist in rebellion against God, when they say, I will never believe in a God who would create hell and put people in hell. You know, it's like, dude, you can not believe in that God if you want, but you're going to go to the hell that He's created for all the people who reject Him. God is the ultimate of power, and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about that. He is who He is, and He will do what He wants. And the other thing is that God actually has the right, not only the power, but He has the right to do whatever He wants. And so when we're in church, now how does, how does, what does all this have to do with spiritual gifts? When you think rightly about spiritual gifts and you realize that the gifts that God has put around you, the people that God has put around you, He intends for you to love and He intends for you to value them. Conflict in church, criticism of other people, a lack of appreciation for people, a lack of love is defiance against God. And so when you look at the Corinthian church and you look at churches, you know, there are so many churches that I I see, that I know of, that I've been a part of that had glory days and then they shrink and then they have some more glory days and then they shrink. And it all comes down to the fact, and I've often wondered, why would God allow this church to grow and have such a pervasive ministry and then just tear it down and there's like nothing left? It's heartbreaking. Like I've gone and visited churches with, that, that built massive parking lots so that they could try to fit all the people. And then you go back and you visit that church like five years later, and there's grass growing through the parking lot. Nobody takes care of it, and no cars are parking on it. And then you just ask yourself, hmm, I wonder why. And it's because on a human level, <laughs> they had some conflict and fighting amongst their leadership. They had some conflict and fighting within the church. And you know what that always is a reflection of? People who think, this is my church. I decide how things should be. They show up and they go, oh, that person isn't teaching the way I want. I want this. I want something else. I don't like that. And people come to church, instead of saying, I'm here to worship God, I'm here to use my gifts in loving other people, I'm here to have the people that God decided to put in the church work on me. And they just go, no, I want my church with my friends, my people doing things my way. And you know what God says? He just goes, yeah, no, not in my church. And so he tears it down. And, and all these people, they were building their own kingdom. And then God says, no, not, not anymore. I'm going to devastate that thing. And everybody's going to leave and go somewhere else. You think you're building your kingdom? 
And that's why I think churches go, they're, they're big, then they're small. They're big, then they're small. They're big, then they're small. And you get a church been around for 20 years and they're small. And you got some other church been around for three years and they're big. Why? Because people think that they own the church. And uh, when we think rightly about spiritual gifts and we think rightly about who God is, we don't do that. And uh, the church is an awesome, amazing, fun place to be. Um, so in this, uh, I, I'm not going to read through this chapter, but if you read through the whole of chapter 12 and you just pick out all the places that it says, God did this, God empowered, God chose, God wills. So many people are so worried about, well, what about my will? I get to decide. No, what you will and what you care about, what you think about and you having your choice, that's not on the scale of importance. You have all the choices that God decides you can have, and it's God's choice that matters, not ours. Okay, so um, we should view and um, use gifts the way God tells us to, and when we do that, the church is an amazing place, and it's, amaz it's an amazing place because you come here and you are loved. Man, think about the power of love. Think about who in your life loves you, and you just know they are there for me. They love me. They encourage me. They build me up. They have my best interests at heart. Man, that's what the church is supposed to be like. Is, is that what every church is like? Um, you know anybody who's like, oh, I hate the church, and I went there, and I'm never going back because of all the stuff that happened? When we love the way God tells us to, man, the church is a great place. And the other thing is that people have amazing gifts. People can do things in ways that we could never do it. And when you get to see that in action, man, that is so encouraging. You're loved, you're cared about. But then things get done really well because everybody is using their gifts the way God intends. So um, God gives individuals as gifts. That's everybody, but here's a list. Um, he says here, first apostles, first, second, third. Um, so first apostles. So we'll go quickly on apostles. That's somebody who's sent with commission. It's somebody that God specifically chose. There was the 12 apostles, and uh, they replaced Judas with Matthias, and there were like these rules. You had to see his ministry. You had to um, see the resurrection personally. And then he adds the apostle Paul who sees um, God on the road to Damascus. And then there were other people in the New Testament called apostles, about four people in the New Testament called apostles. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, was called an apostle. Barnabas was called an apostle. So there's other apostles in the New Testament um, chosen and sent by God to build the church. In fact, um, Ephesians 2.20 just talks about the fact that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Like they were foundational. And so we know that. Um, that's apostles. They were God's representatives on earth, and they spoke for Him, and they had all kinds of gifts. Um, then the second, prophets. We talked about prophets, and um, prophets are people that, um, when you think about the prophets in the Old Testament, they foretold things. They tell things that are going to happen before they happen. They deliver God's Word, so they miraculously speak on God's behalf. And in the New Testament period, there were prophets. 
Abagus was one, and he, he said there's going to be a famine. He also went and told Paul, Paul, you are going to get persecuted. And then Paul went and got persecuted. And there was also an evangelist, so he had the gift of evangelist. His name was Philip, and he had four daughters that were prophets that God would speak through. And so um, they would pre- predict the future and speak on behalf of God. That was super important. You know, the New Testament is the record of the prophecies that God gave that were needed for the entire church. There are a lot more prophecies that happen in the New Testament that are not written down. In fact, 1 Corinthians, we don't have. We have 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians is lost. Do you know why? That was a prophecy that was only important for the Corinthian church. It wasn't for us. All the things that we have in the Bible were written for us. And, and God didn't include every prophecy. Now, when you think about that, the need for prophecy in the early church. When, you know, Paul is like ministering to the Gentiles and there comes a question about circumcision. And the Apostle Paul is headed back to Jerusalem to talk to James and go, James, there's this controversy. And then there's all these people that are sitting around to decide, okay, so what do we tell the Gentiles about this? Like, we don't have those kind of controversies because we have the Bible. We can read it. We know what God thinks about everything that we're supposed to know. The Bible contains everything that you and I need for life and godliness. But before they had that, they needed guidance. And God was giving the church guidance through that. And there are speaking gifts. In fact, Peter, when he's talking about gifts, he just says speaking, and it includes all these speaking gifts. So in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, there's a few listed. It says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. That's the ability to say wise things, to, to think about God's Word and to be able to apply, apply that in a wise way. It's, it's figuring out complicated things. So that's a supernatural gift of wisdom that the church needed. And I, I would like some wisdom. I like friends that are wise. So wisdom is still useful. Um, the utterance of knowledge. That's being able to speak things that you know uh, to another faith. Man, the ability, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says if you have faith, you could just say to a mountain, get up and jump into the sea. You know, I think, when I think about the gift of faith, I think that potentially gets expressed a lot in prayer. When you just believe God for things and you trust God, there's somebody in, at Foothills Church who has a gift of faith, and I'm trying to figure out who that is. But one of the ways that I, one of the reasons I think I know that is, is I cannot believe the answered prayer since I've come to this church. Somebody will send an email into the church, and they'll say, hey, this close friend of mine just went to the doctor, and they said that he has this issue in his body, and he's going to die. And they're telling him to just get your affairs in order because you're going to die. Now, most doctors don't carelessly go, dude, you're going to die. I know we've all heard stories about that. Um, And then we'll pray for them. And like the next week, we get an email back saying, oh, by the way, that thing that the doctor said could never be repaired and this person was going to die, it's fixed. Um, In our family, we have prayed for things like Lord, help our kid to move to Santa Clara, or to move to uh, RSM. And so we went to our life group and we prayed. And next thing you know, the next week, hey, uh, mom and dad, we're moving to RSM. You know, um, just the way that God answers prayer. And it's like I'm—I've been trying to think about, okay, 
So everybody prays. We have a group that prays on Sunday morning before church. I am so thankful for them, and often I know that they're praying, and then we have a group that meets on Thursday, and they pray. And I know in our life groups, people pray in every one of the life groups. But I know like every time I do a request in my life group, God like immediately answers it. And I'm just like, who's the person that's prayer is doing that? Because I want to be able to just ask them. But since I'm not sure, I ask everyone. Actually, God hears all of your prayers. But that's faith, just believing. Uh, to another, gifts of healing. We'll talk about that. Working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits. You've got a bunch of people getting up and giving prophecies. You know, in the Old Testament, there would be prophets that would get up and speak. And, and kings would say, I don't want to hear from that prophet because he always tells me bad news. I'm going to get some of these prophets that always tell me good things. And these prophets are saying, hey, you're going to win this battle, and you're going to do great, and everything's going to be good in your kingdom. And the king's like, yeah, I like them. And this other king that was hanging out with him was like, but, but shouldn't we ask that other prophet what he thinks? He's like, I don't want to ask him, because he always says things that are bad. And so he goes, and he's like, yeah, well, well, let's ask him. So he asks him, and the guy says, yeah, things aren't going to go well for you. In fact, you're going to die. And so the guy disguises himself as the king, and uh, he's, he's going to try to avoid this prophecy. And the, the whole battle goes, and the whole battle ends, and nobody knows he's the king, and he's doing just fine. And some guy's got like this bow and arrow, and he just like randomly fires an arrow off, and it hits this king, and he dies. Um, so in the, new t- in, the, in the early church, like there's a lot of false prophets, a lot of false prophecy going on. Hey, guess what? A lot of those groups that disobey all the things the Bible says about prophecy, man, I hear all kinds of false prophecy. I personally witnessed lots of false prophecy. That is still going on today. And you have people without discernment that just, oh, you know, like one friend of mine, somebody told me he was supposed to marry someone else. And so he's like engaged and they're sending out wedding invitations and, and I'm talking to him about it. And he's like, yeah, I really don't want to get married. And I'm like, well, dude, why are you doing this? Well, because somebody in my church told me that I was supposed to marry that person, and I don't want to marry them, but I don't want to disobey what God said. And so Michelle and I helped them unwind that wedding and not get married. But do you know how many people live their life on what some random person tells them is what God told them to say? There is so much harmful false prophecy And so the gift of discernment, when you don't have the Bible, distinguishing spirits. See, we have the Bible, and most of the things people say that are false prophecy, we just go, that doesn't match with Scripture. We toss that out. Like, it's not that hard today, actually, to figure it out. But before the New Testament was done, they needed that gift. One of the things you notice about the lists of gifts is that um, they're all different. They all share certain gifts in common, but then there's also gifts that are unique to each list. Uh, that just makes me think that probably none of the lists of gifts are complete. There's probably more gifts than that. And there's probably categories of gifts that people have. A third one is teachers. Um, man, we need to understand Scripture. When you think about a lot of these gifts, they're related to people telling other people God's Word. This is what God says to you, the value of God's Word. We need to know what God says. We need to know to obey it. We need to know how to obey it. God's Word is so important. And here's the great thing. 
is if you think those gifts are present or you think those gifts are not present, guess where we have the result of all those gifts as far as God's Word? It's in the Bible. And, and we center around God's Word and what we do. Um, I think about uh, what Paul tells Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Um, Paul tells Timothy, read the Bible, explain the Bible, encourage people to obey the Bible. Did you know that that is the job description for every preacher? Read it, explain it, encourage obedience. Did you know that that's the job description for every Sunday school teacher? Read it, explain it, encourage obedience. Did you know that that's the job of every women's ministry leader in every group? Read it, explain it, encourage obedience to it. Did you know that that's what the men are supposed to do in their men's gathering? They're supposed to read the Bible, explain the Bible, encourage obedience to the Bible. We can find all kinds of ministries everywhere that do a lot of things that don't include read it, explain it, and do it. But that's what God tells us we're to prioritize. In fact, He says the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Um, any of you guys read the book of Nehemiah where um, they found the book of the law and Ezra reads it to Israel and they gather up every man, every woman, and every child who can understand language. So they gathered up all the kids who were talking. And then you know what they did? They stood and they read the Bible. They read the book of the law from 6 a.m. until noon. Okay, so I just want you to know if you ever think my sermons go long, we didn't start at 6, and we didn't end at noon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it feels like it sometimes, no. You know, the worst thing is when we don't have God's Word, right? Jesus told His disciples, you're going out and preaching and people won't listen. Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. That's pretty bad when you don't have God's Word. How about miracles? So are teachers, we need them. How about miracles? Now, this word for miracle is actually just the word for power. And that little circle there are all the times that word is used, and that little square popped out, that's how many times it's translated miracle. It just means power. It's God's supernatural power. And it says in uh, First, or for, this is 1 Corinthians 12, not 2 Corinthians, but, or no, it is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it just says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, signs and wonders and mighty works. Miracles verified God's spokespeople. Isn't that what happened in the Old Testament? Like Moses goes out there and he says, I'm speaking for God, and then he does all these amazing things, makes frogs and and uh, locusts, and you know, darkness, and you know all the and, and the Nile River turning to blood. You know, um, in Hebrews it just says that that the people that God spoke to, He bore witness through through signs and wonders. And uh, when I think about the need for miracles in the New Testament, um, and how God verified His spokespeople through miracles, 
You go into a church, it's like this is a new church that ju is just starting, and there's all these amazing miracles happening. That will get your attention. That says, okay, I need to think about this. Now, there's more to it than just miracles, because false teachers do miracles too, right? And so, we measure miracles. We also measure the lives and the teaching of people. Um, so, miracles. God was doing miracles. How about gifts of healing? And it's gifts of healings. So, some people say if you have the gift of healing, then you always heal everybody fully, and you can just do it whenever you want. So, some people would say, if, if you have the gift of healings, uh, welcome to the hospital. Let's empty some hospitals. Um, by the way, in the New Testament, where Peter and Paul were traveling around, everyone was healed. And then you have today people saying, oh yeah, I'd heal you, but you don't have enough faith. So, they, they blame everybody else um, when they're not healed. And they claim to have the gift of healing. And so, some would say the gift of healing is not present today. So, listen to one charismatic pastor, and he says, well, that's not true because the Apostle Paul didn't always heal everybody. He didn't heal himself. Uh, he was traveling with somebody, and he says, I left him ill. When, when Timothy was struggling physically, he didn't say, um, hey, let me take a sweat rag and send it to you so you can be healed. Um, he said, drink some wine for your stomach. And um, Acts 19 talks about the miracles, though, that were happening and the healings that were happening to verify ministry. That's what Jesus was doing, right, in His ministry. He was healing people. Um, it says in Acts 19 that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So, that'd be pretty cool. But the Apostle Paul, like what kind of an exclamation point is there on his ministry when he wipes the sweat on his head and then you send that and people get healed? Or in, um, in Acts, um, also the Apostle Peter, he would walk and if his shadow fell on people while he was walking down the street, they were healed. Um, the Apostle Paul, Acts 20, I got to tell you this story. So they were gathered together in Acts 20 on the first day of the week when they gathered to break bread. So it was Sunday. They got together to break some bread, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, he was leaving the next day. So he prolonged his speech until midnight, like six hours as long. Paul went all day. He's still preaching at midnight. And they were so hungry for the word, they were listening. And by the way, the Corinthians said that Paul was not a good speaker. <laughs> so he was not a good speaker. He's speaking all day. And then there's this guy named Eutychus. He's sitting in a window, and it says that he sank into a deep sleep. And as Paul talked still longer, uh, he was overcome by sleep, and he fell, he fell out of a third-story window and died. So Paul goes downstairs, and he picks him up, and he raises him from the dead. And then they go back upstairs, and he preaches until daylight. <laughs> he speaks until the next morning. Isn't that crazy? There's the gift of healing and helping. Helping is just service, helping other people. The gift of administration, that word is used for piloting. So, like, within, a, within leadership, there's, like, who grabs the wheel and actually turns a ship where it's going? There's that gift of administration. And sometimes churches don't function well. Have you ever been to a church event that wasn't planned very well and things didn't go very well and somebody forgot a bunch of details? 
That's administration. There's an administrator out there somewhere that's not plugged in the way they're supposed to be. And so it's giving guidance. How about speaking with tongues? Um, I'm going to end with these last two because the last two in the list. But speaking with tongues. You know, that's actually a really important gift, and a lot of people want to minimize that. They want to minimize the value of it. But, you know, you think about this, and this gift, by the way, was overemphasized because I think it was overemphasized out of pridefulness. People looked at how valuable the gift of tongues was, and they all wanted to do that. So think about this. Jesus is killed. His disciples are scattered. um, And then Jesus is raised from the dead, and over 500 people see him, and he's going around for a month preaching about the kingdom of God, and then he tells the disciples, hey, wait until you get the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many people were gathered together at that point? Like, that's pretty cool stuff, right? This guy gets killed, he gets raised from the dead, he travels around and talks to people. Do you know how many people they had? The Bible tells us they had 120. So after all that, they got 120 people. That's how many people have been converted. That's how many people were gathered together after all this amazing things. Acts 1, 4, and 5, and while he stayed with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke in tongues, which is why people misunderstanding this not applying it correctly, say, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. That is what happened to the apostles, but that's because that was the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's another time in Acts where people receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, and it's the Gentiles where God is saying, this isn't just for Jews, this is also for Gentiles. But it is absolutely certain that speaking in tongues is not the sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is misunderstanding the history of what happened here. But this is what happens. This is what we need to understand the value and the power of the gift of tongues. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then the apostles go and they wait And the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 2, and they start preaching, and everybody hears in their own language. And 3,000 people get saved. And And they say, what do we need to do to be saved in the church after all these things? After the resurrection of Jesus, it's 120. And then the disciples preach in tongues, they speak in tongues, and there's 3,000 people that are saved. And the church is just starts growing. And so it's not a surprise that people say, hey, I want to speak in tongues. Like the Corinthians, they want to speak in tongues. Um, have you ever hung out with people and you didn't speak their language? So I did that. We were hanging out with Carlos's parents. And they don't speak English very well. And Michelle and I don't speak Spanish very well. And so we're sitting there trying to talk to each other. It's really hard to relationally connect on a deep, in a deep way when you can barely say food. So I was really glad that Carlos was there, and I was really glad Cannon was there. I was really good, glad Julianne was there because they all speak Spanish so they could translate. Now think about sharing the gospel in the early church. 
How many people have we come, have come to Christ that have that speak other languages? We ha- we send missionaries. We have like the the Jesus film has like thousands of translations, or like I don't know the number exactly, but there's tons of the Bible written in people's actual language. Now imagine there's none of that. How does the church grow? And wouldn't it be nice if we could just take a translator? like a, a person speaking in tongues and somebody who can interpret, and if we could just gather those two people and send them all over the world and they just go preach the gospel to everybody in their own language. By the way, that is the gift of tongues. That's what it is. And people prayed in tongues in the church. Why? Because when you have people who don't speak this language, they, they need to be able to hear prayer happening in their language so that they could be blessed by it. People were worshiping. Why? So that people who didn't speak that language could be a part of that, so that they could be challenged, so they could be encouraged. And you always had to have an interpreter. Why? Because the other believers who understand good doctrine need to know what was said. Was that true or was it not true? Which is why you are never allowed to speak in tongues without an interpreter. Tongues is powerful. It is useful. God used it powerfully to, to, to plant the church. And we've turned tongues today into something else. Um, but that's what the gift of tongues is. That's why we need to have interpreters. And we should also desire the higher gifts. And love is more important than gifts. Let me close. God, thank you so much for giving us your word. And God, I pray that we would appreciate spiritual gifts. Lord, that we would understand your wisdom and your power in what you've done. And Lord, that we would know that you have given us everything we need in the Bible. But God, you have also given the church everything that it needs by the people that you put in the church and by the gifts that are there. God, I pray that you would help each of us to function correctly, that each of us would use our gifts properly to build up the body of Christ. And Lord, that as we build up others, that we would be built up in your name. Amen.